listening to the Save the Marriage podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Bauckham as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life, starting right now. Welcome to our series on surviving things. I've already talked about how to survive a separation, which is a very common element when there is a marital issue. A lot of times couples go to separation. I'm not much in favor of -of out-of-house separations, but I do often see the need for in-house separations. And sometimes if there's no way to resolve the conflict, which is what we're going to talk about today, it leads to a separation that's a physical separation outside of the home separation. So part of the reason I wanted to continue our conversation, and last week we talked about surviving infidelity, is because behind a lot of the breakdowns in a relationship is based in conflict. Uh, A couple gets engrossed in a conflict, and part of the reason for that conflict is because of the disconnection that happens. When people are disconnected, they tend to be much more raw, much more easily uh, bothered by something. In fact, uh, you can pretty much count on the fact that the more connected a couple is, the better they are able to kind of tolerate the difficulties between them. So a lot of times, well, let me talk about the converse. When there is disconnection, everything drives you crazy. And so remember that fact that when, uh, when it's a lot of connection, the little things don't bother you. When it's not much connection, the little things are huge and seem insurmountable. And so part of what I, I want to be clear about is that dealing with conflict is not different from dealing with a disconnection. It's a part of the disconnection. Sometimes couples come in and say, you know what, before we even start addressing the disconnection, we've got to deal with this place of conflict. And my response is, you need to work on the, con- the connection, get through the connection, and then see what's left of the conflict. Because many times the things that are, are a problem, when you get beyond the disconnect, suddenly evaporate, suddenly don't seem to be that big of a deal. In fact, I've seen the the situation many times where those cute things the other person does when you're connected are the things that launch into conflicts when you're disconnected. Now, I don't want to trivialize conflict because there are some big things that couples are in conflict about, and that's the nature of life. If you're in close connection with somebody, you're going to have disagreements on the best way to proceed forward. And if you've decided to be connected with somebody so intimately as in a marriage— then those disagreements have to be processed in a way that's helpful. So I want to just kind of raise the difference between conflict as a communication pattern and conflict that is in service of progress. Those are two very different approaches. Sometimes it seems when I'm working with couples that the only way that they can communicate is by conflict. I remember years ago, I was talking to a, a couple and they said, you know, we just argue all the time, but that's just the way we are. And, and I said, well, so what's, what's the, the cost of that? And they said, oh, no, we, you know, that's just the way we communicate. And, and, and that's just how we are. You know, we're just loud and, and all out there. And I said, but what's the cost? And they said, well, I don't think there is a cost. And I said, well, absolutely, there's a cost because you're in my office with a marriage in trouble. And arguments are eating away at the connection. And disconnection is creating more and more arguments. So it begins to be a puzzle piece of a cycle. 
So when conflict is a communication pattern, sometimes it's scary to give it up. In fact, this couple, when I said, you know, one of the things you need to do is stop the arguing, they said, well, how would we communicate if not arguing? Because that's all they knew is their communication pattern. So communication pattern is habit. Being stuck in a communication pattern of arguing is a destructive habit. We create habits of how we relate, of how we connect throughout our relationship. And when it's conflictual, we find ourselves in trouble. That's as opposed to conflict in the service of progress. And my belief is that if you're going to have conflict, you ought to be moving towards a resolution of something. In fact, if you're not moving towards resolution, you're misusing the conflict. You're using the conflict to be a personal attack. Whether you mean to or not, if it's not about progress, it's about attack. So let's talk a little bit about what I believe is the nature of arguments. This is what I've said for a long time, that arguments are about two different people with two different views trying to convince the other person of your viewpoint. Now, you can notice the problem right off. Two different people with two different viewpoints trying to get the other person to give up their viewpoint for what you already have. And that's the basis of an argument. In fact, this is kind of the heart of the reason that I don't think communication skills or better communication skills is a good strategy for therapy. That's one of the the issues I have with therapy that so many times therapists are, are so focused on communication patterns and teaching better communication skills that they never get to the lower part that it's about connection. And so when somebody learns new communication skills, all they do is they learn to argue more effectively, and that's not going to change the basic underlying conflict. So when you have two different viewpoints, and each of you are trying to get the other person to give up their viewpoint, you see the problem. You're locked into your viewpoint, and probably you have kind of in your mind a way it's supposed to go. You've created an imagined script in your mind that once you start down that script, two people reading off a different script, it's it's amazing that it's not going to fit together, right? I mean, think about it. If you're making a movie and you hand the people in the movie different scripts and they're trying to make the movie, how awful that would be. One person is saying something, the other person is saying something. They have nothing to do with each other and they're completely disjointed. And yet we, as humans, are great creators of the script as we want it to go, not as it will go, but as we want it to go. Secondarily, and this was a little painful to think about, but secondarily, arguments are about two people who are committed to their role as a victim. You notice that nobody argues when they feel like they have the better deal. You know, the the victor is not the one who's enlisted in an argument. And so when there is an argument, both people have convinced themselves that they are the victims. They've begun to play out the victim role. And they're trying to prove that they are the victim, trying to disprove that the other person is not a victim. Think about how that happens so many times. You you assume that you're the one who's been wronged, and you're sure that if you point it out, your spouse will be on your side. We'll see it that way. And then your spouse is just as committed to them being the ones wronged, that they are the ones that have been slighted. And I've watched this so many times when couples begin to move backward in time. You know, somebody will say, well, you did this. And the other will say, oh, yeah, well, you did this first. 
which is followed up with, yeah, but you did this before that, which is followed up with, yeah, but you did this before that. And you keep going backward. You, know, you keep reaching back to the place where you were only responding out of the fact that you had been made a victim. The painful part of that is recognizing that when you're in, in, engrossed in a conflict, that you are assigning your role as victim. You're embracing your role as victim. Sometimes that's enough just to shake people loose from what happens when you are in conflict. So let's talk some about how you survive the conflicts, how you survive the conflict and move towards resolution in service of progress. The first thing is commit to progress, both to yourself and to your spouse. Commit to progress. Now, that eliminates a couple of things. One, it eliminates personal attacks. If you find yourself in a conflict and you begin to assign blame or assign some problem with the other person or attack the other person, you're no longer about the progress. So make sure that the conflict is about not the other person, but the item that's of conflict. Which brings us to the second one, and this is a challenge to most people. When you're in conflict, stay on topic. Solve the conflict in front of you and decide what that topic is together. You may think it's one thing and your spouse may think it's another, but a key of making progress is for you both to be looking at the same topic. Sometimes I'll have a couple when they suddenly find themselves at a disagreement to sit down and write on an index card what the topic is that they both can agree upon. And then as they continue their discussion, to check in every now and then and see if that topic is the one that's still happening, if they're still on that topic, and if they've avoided a personal attack. The second way through is assume 100% responsibility for resolving it. Here's what happens in many times in an argument. Each person is trying to decide how much responsibility is theirs and really how much is the other person's. And usually we like to assign 100% responsibility to the other person. It's the other person's fault, right? That's why we're in a conflict. But what if we turn it around and assume that in an argument, each person is 100% of an entity. You're a whole person. You're 100% of the person, 100% of your opinion, 100% of what you think and feel. And therefore, you have 100% of the responsibility. So two people have 200% responsibility. And then you apportion that out as each person having 100% responsibility, that each person has 100% responsibility for moving forward in the conflict. That helps you stay away from the victim mode. I don't know if you've ever watched this, but I've noticed it with insurance companies that they now want to apportion the blame. A friend of ours had a child who was involved in an automobile accident, and the insurance company came back and said, well, we've decided that you were 40% at fault and the other person was 60% at fault, so we'll only pay the 60%. I don't know how you figure out the apportionment, especially when I know what happened in that accident. The person was driving along and somebody else changed lanes right into them. So the fault of that 40% was being at the wrong place at the wrong time. And so yet, the insurance company wanted to apportion it out. Why? Because they didn't want to pay the full amount, right? And we play that game in our own head. We assume that it's 100% the other person, and then we're trying to, if we have to, apportion out, okay, yeah, yeah, I have a little bit of responsibility. You know, I have a 10 or 20% responsibility, but you have 80 or 90% responsibility. 
But what if you step back and say, you know, I've got 100% responsibility for being in this, for processing this, for being a part of the solution. Then that changes it. Then that creates two people who are in the midst of the struggle, deciding that both people are fully responsible for resolution, which is a lot easier if you've decided that resolving it is the key, that you're trying to make progress, not find blame, not attack the other person, and not assume you're the victim. The third way through is to notice when the fight-flight-freeze response is triggered. You can tell it. You know, your adrenaline goes up, your, your stomach tightens, your breathing changes, you start finding yourself being more angry, you get ready to say, oh yeah, well you, whenever you're on the oh yeah, well you kind of line of reasoning, you have crossed over into fight-flight-freeze. And at that point, you're out to win or get away. That's, that's what that response is about. It's an ancient response in our brain of self-preservation, self-protection that does not serve progress. It's about winning or avoiding losing. That's the only way through that. And so when you find yourself in what scientists would call an aroused state, the adrenaline is flowing, you're, you're ready for the fight, you're thinking about how to attack the other person, it's time to disengage. It's time to give yourself a chance to back down and choose not to seek revenge but to re-engage down the road when you've returned to a normal, non-aroused state. That's true on both sides. So if either person says, you know what, I'm feeling like I'm sucked into this and I'm moving into that next phase, it's time for both people to say, okay, let's take a break. Let's back out of this. Number four, the number four way through this is through kindness and empathy. Listen for the hurt. Listen for the pain Rather than listening to the anger and reacting to the anger, respond to hurt. Never react to the anger. Listen for where your spouse is coming from. Listen for your spouse's point of view. Seek progress. And if there's any way that you can move progress along, it's by being empathetic and seeking to understand where the other person is coming from. In fact, most arguments are halted if one person says, can you help me understand how you're seeing it that way? Explain to me how you got to this point, not in a a rude, well, explain to me how you could possibly see it that way, but a request. Can you help me understand where you're coming from? Which leads to the tail end of that of soft startups when there is a conflict. This is one of those points that John Gottman points to in his research, that when you use a soft startup marriages have a greater chance of survival. A soft startup is saying, honey, you know what? I've got a little problem right now, and I would love it if we could sit down and talk about it, which is different than you jerk. You need to sit down and listen to what you did to me. Notice that one is trying to move towards progress. The other is trying to claim being a victim. Your ways through the conflict make a difference in how you can uh, protect the relationship and further your connection through the conflict. That's how you survive the conflict. You find a way of connecting through it. So remember to commit to progress at all times. No personal attacks. Staying on topic. Second thing is assume 100% responsibility. And it's best if both people are choosing 100% responsibility. When you find yourself in that fight-flight-freeze mode, decide to un- disengage Calm down and come back and engage later. And finally, try to use kindness and empathy in soft startups. 
Hope this has been helpful. If you need more help, if you're trying to figure out how to survive the whole marriage crisis, I've got a system available that can help you. It's the Save the Marriage system. You can find that program at savethemarriage.com. While you're going through that process, remember that we give you a complimentary session with one of my coaches to get you started, to make sure you're on the right track, and I'll give you a free week of the VIP virtual coaching program. All you have to do is sign up when you're asked to do that, and you get a free week so you can get all the resources you need so that you understand how to move forward in connection and how to preserve your relationship. This is Lee Balkum wishing you the best as you work to save your marriage listening to Save the Marriage podcast. For more information and help, please visit us at savethemarriage.com.